0: All right. Wow. It's good to be with you this evening. I want you to open your Bibles up to John chapter 5. I want to continue looking in uh, chapter 5, the testimony section, which is really what we've been uh, looking at this week. I want to share with you a new study for us, uh, John chapter 5, verses 39 through 42 no 39 and 40 verses 39 and 40 we've been uh, struggling and it uh, I used to think perhaps some time ago that what we're talking about tonight was kind of just semantics okay kind of maybe just the way we talk about things it was just language in fact I, I found myself recently and it was in Indianapolis and they had a huge conference there and a bunch of my friends showed up and uh um, well, I had a friend show up from Kansas City, and he calls me, says, hey, I'm in town, uh, and I was at my mother-in-law's, and uh, he says, hey, I'm out at the, the Indy Campgrounds, Camp Canby, come by. I said, okay. So I went out there to see him, and apparently they had this, this real big deal NYI conference going on. And all the NYI presidents in the United States and in Canada showed up. And, of course, we, you know, work heavily with youth in NYI, so I knew, like, you know, a vast majority of them. So I'm always, it's like a big reunion time. So I meant to go out for an afternoon, for an hour, and visit a friend and stayed for, like, a day and a half. <laughs> I mean, all that day, and then came back the next day, and they came out that evening and drove over the other side of Indianapolis, and we had, a bunch of my friends did, and we had, uh, we had time to chat. And I got in this conversation with a friend of mine from Arizona, and... Uh, we we were we were talking about the speaker, and the speaker was Leonard Sweet. Who uh, he's um, really he writes a lot concerning the uh, postmodern thought. Uh, that we live in that's what they're calling our culture you know there's the modern and then there's the, now there's the postmodern. It's it's, 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 a, it's a term that's used to describe the way that we think in our culture uh, I mean we're quickly abandoning the way we used to think now we're internet generation and, and we just think differently it's just our culture that's the word they used to describe it or the phrase they used to describe that we get in this conversation and, and we're in dialogue about what he was talking about because I, I went to one of the services and um, we have this difference of opinion and here's the thing regardless of who you would think was right and I thought I was right (laughs) I'm biased but uh, uh, we're talking about this issue and everyone else listening finally some guy cuts in and goes listen he goes you guys are saying the same thing and I dismissed it but I knew we weren't saying the same thing okay we were saying something that sounded similar but it was really crucially in my mind different okay Uh, See the idea. It seems that I and we've been sensing this in the churches is they're casting this message that if you if you have problems in your life, if you've got problems in your marriage, if 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 there's there's issues that are taking place, if there's things that are going wrong, hey, come to church and experience. Lord, I mean, experience life. Experience. I mean, just hey, we have the answer. Okay, that's that's the idea of the churches that are that are casting out, and a lot of the churches are giving this idea. Um, Away in the community that what's going on at that church is it's really happening, okay? And the worship is exciting and, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot going on and there's, it's not, they're moving away from the traditional ways of doing things and, and there's new contemporary, more modern uh, things going on and we've got PowerPoint, we've got, you know, video clips, we've got acting, we've got drama, you know, all this kind of stuff. <laughs> Which, all that's fine, you understand. But we really need to be really careful in the way we talk about those things. Because, and this is really serious, see, you don't come to church for an experience. Okay? And that's not, the language we're using here is really not even contemporary language. See, this is, sometimes it's dangerous to use the old traditional Nazarene language. Okay? In terms of talking about an experience. Okay? I'm not interested in experiencing anything that takes place outside of Christ. Okay? In other words, I don't come for an experience of worship. I come to experience Jesus in worship. Okay? See, I don't come to experience dynamics of this, that, and the other. I come to experience Jesus Himself. Okay? And those are very, very close to talk about in terms of coming and experiencing worship and coming and experiencing the presentation of the Word and coming and experiencing this and experiencing that. And so you can talk like that, but see, very quickly, you, you come to the conclusion of a Jesus who comes and gives you life. Jesus who comes and gives you the answer to your problems. Do You come to church and you meet Jesus for the first time and, and He's the answer, man. He's the one who gives you what you need. And see that's the wrong picture. That's a totally opposite picture that we get from the scriptures. See Jesus doesn't give you anything apart from himself. You understand that, don't you? He doesn't give you the answer, he is the answer. Okay? Now throughout the gospel of John what's really crucial and what's brought up is the <coughs> excuse me, is it's the whole topic of eternal life. And in fact in John chapter uh, 20, and I'll just read this to you. In John chapter uh, 20, verse uh, 31, he gives you uh, kind of the, this is, it's, 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 it's refer to it from time to time, it's really the point of his whole book, he come, the book, he comes back down to the, to the end of his book, he's almost done writing, and uh, he says, hey, these things are written um, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God and that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. Okay, so the whole the whole deal of of the Gospel of John is wrapped around this subject of life, okay, and eternal life. And Jesus, I mean, he says in this Gospel, "Hey, I've come that you might have life and have it to the fullest." Okay, now when I became a Christian as a young man, uh, my life was going down the, the tubes. Okay, it was it was bad. Okay? I had problems, and see, I came to know Jesus thinking that he was going to fix my life which again was a product of some of the churches that I had probably encountered in my day, that I would come and Jesus would... Uh, you have financial problems, see? You come to Jesus and he'll fix your finances. And then you'll be happy. Okay? You, you come to Jesus and you have health problems and, well, you become a Christian and then he'll fix your health problems. See, that's, that's, again, that's not the picture we get from the Scripture. Okay? The picture we get from the Scripture is, hey, you come to him and you find out that he himself is life. And when you enter into a relationship with him, he himself becomes the answer to everything going on in your life. Okay? This is what we're talking about uh, and really what we have been talking about in John chapter 5. John chapter 5 begins, and again we've been looking at this, the first uh, 15 verses are the, uh, uh, the story that took place the second time Jesus enters into... Uh, oh, thank you, sir. All right first 15 verses uh, contain the story uh, that, uh, of uh, Jesus' uh, temple uh, experience. <laughs> Just use the word experience. It's uh, the record of events that took place Jesus' second time that he enters the temple. Verses, verses 1 through 15. And of course he comes to the temple. And, uh, um, and I was looking in this, this, uh, this last evening. And by the time you come into chapter 6. And it says in verse 4 that uh, the Jewish Passover the Jewish Passover feast was near. And so this is right after he has left, uh, sometime later that he's left the temple. So, this feast that's taking place in chapter 5 probably isn't another Passover. It's one of the other two that they were required to attend, whether that would be Pentecost or the Feast of Tabernacles. Probably not a Passover. Nonetheless, it's a, it's a feast. Jesus shows up to celebrate that, and uh, as the law requires, he brings his disciples, and uh, as we looked at last night, he intersects the life of a man who's been there for, uh, for 38 years. And, uh, and he heals him. and it's, it's powerful. And, and and, and, uh, and we looked at how Jesus comes in and, and he sees this man through the eyes of the Father and all the things that are, that are going on inside of God, if you can imagine this, all the things that are going on inside of God that, and how he looks at this man well up inside of Jesus and he sees this man through the eyes of the Father and he comes over and he gets involved in his life and he says, oh, do you want to get well. And again, uh, Guy gives his, his, uh, his take on that. And hey, here's my issue. And, and here's what I go through. And I can't help, no one helps me into the pool. And, and you know, someone always goes down ahead of me, that sort of thing. And probably alluding, uh, to the fact that he needs help, suggesting maybe even that Jesus would stay and help him. And Jesus gives him three commands. The strongest word that we have, uh, for a, a command in the original language, uh, it's the imperative. And he says, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And at once, the man's cured. So he gets up, picks up his mat, and uh, as he's leaving, he runs headlong into the Jewish leadership of Israel. And of course, uh, they jump all down his throat and get all over him because he's, uh, he's carrying his mat. Which wasn't a big deal, but the day on which he was carrying his mat was the Sabbath. And you didn't do that on the Sabbath, of course, uh, breaking their traditions. And so uh, they really uh, begin to interrogate this fellow and uh, questioning him as to why he's doing it, he says, Hey, the man who made me well told me to do it. And they said, Who is he? He says, Don't know. Yeah, I don't know who he is. Don't know where he's at. And, uh, but you find out at the end, of the, end of the end of this section that Jesus shows up into the temple. He addresses the man, says, Hey, stop sinning or something worse is going to happen to you. And the man goes and sells Jesus out to the leadership of Israel. So by the time you come into verse 16, you're entering in a new section of the chapter which continues down through verse 30. And Jesus is giving His defense or His testimony uh, as to why He is doing uh, why he did what he did in the first 15 verses. So the first 15 verses you have the story that took place and then the leadership of Israel upon learning that Jesus is responsible for what the man did they begin to persecute him. Which again, persecution is not making fun of him, not calling him names, you know, not tripping him in the hallway, <laughs> knocking his books out of his hand. See, it's not that kind of thing. See, it, it's, it's breathing out murderous threats. In fact, they're going to try to kill him. So Jesus has to give an answer. He has to give his testimony as to why he did such a thing. And his language his that he's using here um, is, is just it's 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 loaded with intimacy you understand it's 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 not uh, he doesn't give the pat probably Christian answers that most people would give okay uh, and again we've been talking about two particular groups that are going on that, that are that are uh, that are presented here in our passage you have a religious group and again you have a Christian group and the religious answers that are given by the leadership of Israel concerning their faith, often have to do with what they do, uh, centered around activities. Uh, if you were to go up to a religious person and say, "How's your walk?" they would probably say something like, "Well, I go to church every Sunday. Okay, um, I read my Bible, the King James Bible. <laughs> okay, maybe uh, you know, uh, you know. Um, hey, I tithe. I give my ten percent. That, you know." Gave the evangelist a little bit of extra something this last week. And, uh, you know, and, and I, I help out at the church. and, and See, they get, they have their answers. But when they come to Jesus and they begin to persecute him, I mean, when I'm seeing persecution, the pressure's on, the heat's on Jesus as to giving an answer as to why he's doing what he's doing. The answer is just surrounded. Uh, it's just permeated with intimacy. In fact, it, it all takes place under the umbrella of this father-son type of relationship. It's not, See, he doesn't use formal language. Okay? Um, and you almost get the picture, and it's not bad that you, you should pray, you know, dear Heavenly Father. It's not that that's bad, but uh, see, he doesn't talk like that at least here. They come up and, uh, uh, you know, how could you do such a thing? And, and Jesus says, well, you know my dad. <laughs> you know pop, you know. That, that's how he talks about it. Um, again, that comes in, con- it's, just a, it's a contrast uh, between what I've heard um, other people talk about. I remember when I was uh, young at Olivet. Let's give one example. As I was at Olivet, and I was a young preacher. okay, Young, getting clawing, scratching. Any way I could get into a church, I'd do it. And uh, I went to preach this one church in Wisconsin. Okay, it it's close enough. They needed to fill in. I came up. Well, after the message, this little old guy comes up to me. And um, he had a piece of paper. He was grading me. Okay. And he comes up after the service. He goes, okay, here's what you did wrong. <laughs> I was like, that's, that's exactly what I want to hear after this interview. Like, I've preached four times in my life, and hey, tell me what I did wrong. And the guy says, first of all, you do this and this and this and this. And second of all, you did this, this and this and this, you know, this, this and this. And uh, when you pray, young man, you need to say, dear Heavenly Father. Okay. And you also need to say, you know, we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Or he doesn't hear your prayer. So he said. And there's probably something to be said about that. But I doubt that I'll get to heaven and walk up and see Jesus and say, Wow, I spent 60 years with you. I mean, we went here and there, and it was great, and wonderful. And Jesus would say, Yeah, that's that's great. It was wonderful, but I can't let you in. So why? What happened? You never said in the name of Jesus. Yeah. When you prayed. So you're going to hell. Do <laughs> you get what I'm saying? He's probably not going to say that. He's probably not going to say that. You understand? That, I mean, wait, you ask in my name, but that's not magic words type of stuff. In fact, we're doing a study, and we're not, we obviously didn't get to it this week. It's at the end of the chapter, uh, chapter 5, when we're talking about in the name of, uh, in verses um, through he uses this kind of language. Jesus says, I come in my Father's name. And when you come in their name, that was an expression from their culture to say, I've come in the character and in the purpose of my Father's name. So when Jesus says, ask anything in my name that will be given to you, and I've done that. Jesus, in your name, give me a Ferrari. Red one. Red one. Okay? And a new truck. Uh, and a new fifth wheel in your name okay it's not magic words to, it's not like hocus pocus It's you know, not that kind of a deal when he's saying hey in your character and in your purpose is what I'm praying that I am praying I'm coming before you in your character and in your purpose see that's the idea of in the name of which is again intimacy it's, it's relationship it's tightness it's, it's I don't want to have an identity apart from you the language that i use the prayers that i pray the things that i'm involved in say it's, hey, it's in your character and in your purpose everything just just the more and the more you really get into the scriptures you begin to see that one steady tone that goes through it it's that it's that kind of a it's not rules it's not a plus b equals c it's it's, it's not he doesn't talk like that it's all intimacy it's all tightness it's all relationship does that make sense and really that's what's being spelled out here in the beginning of the chapter and uh, it's, it's, uh, the, it's the language that Jesus is using. That what's going on inside of his father is going on inside of him. And, and uh, he uses the father-son language, which is spitting image type of stuff. If you knew anything of my family, and you knew my dad, even if you didn't know me, you wouldn't be able to miss me. Because I'm a spitting image of my dad. I look just like him. I act just like him, poor guy. And uh, I'm a bullock. And you can tell me from a mile away. This is the language that Jesus uses. Which, as a side note, see, is that, is that going on in our life? Do you look like Jesus? Are you a spitting image of Jesus? When someone comes to your job and says, You remind me of someone, do you say it's Jesus? <laughs> it's the Lord. <laughs> is that how you talk? That's how he talked. Okay? This is the language that he uses. And so the first 15 verses of the story, and then Jesus gives his, his uh, testimony as to, hey, why he's doing what he was doing in this story. Now, when you, when you take these two groups as they're presented here in these first couple sections, uh, on the surface, just to be really honest with you, on the surface, and we talked about how you really can't tell a Christian apart from a religious person on the surface, but even after you really identify the religious people, on the surface, they're not bad. They're not evil, okay? They're not like you know Darth Vader. You know, it's not like you know they're just creeping around with the voice and okay, poor illustration. But you see, they're not. They're not. They're not evil, okay? In fact, the religious people are oftentimes, um, and not oftentimes. That's perhaps overstating, but uh, sometimes they're the one, some of the most key figures in the church. They're the ones who have been there through thick and thin. Uh, some of the you know perhaps younger and uh, more vibrant and excited members of the congregation who are new, don't have the kind of um, weight or uh, determination to stick through the the tough times, okay? Um, It's those ones who have always been there uh, that will always be there. They're the ones who are always at revival. They're the ones who are the financial backing of the church. They're uh, Republican. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) maybe Democrat we're just just trying to be funny Um, uh, yeah we need to be careful (laughs) Um, they're the tithers they're the do you get what I'm saying on the surface whatever you would be Republican Democrat you know whatever you would be in terms of uh, age group whatever you would talk about in terms of the right amount of money board members however you want to talk about that on the surface religious people oftentimes they look great They're, they're steady and they're there but you understand When you really get down to the fundamental core of a religious person and a Christian uh, Christian person, they are absolutely different. Okay? Absolutely different. One is settled on works, one is settled on things, and the other one, Christian, is settled on person-centered. Okay? This is the primary difference between these two. And uh, we, we we see these two in these first two sections. Now, we begin, not before last, looking at the last section, which was verses 31 down through the end of the chapter, and this is the testimony section where Jesus is in conversation with the religious group of people, the religious leaders of his day, the Jews, and uh, he's given his testimony, he's given his reason as to why he did what he did back in the temple uh, in the first 15 verses. And then he gives other testimonies, or he calls uh, to account rec- uh, uh, other testimonies that are given on his behalf. And those are given to us from verses 31 to the end of the chapter. Now, when you come down and you enter into verse 37, you enter into the, uh, the Father's testimony, which goes really down through verse uh, 38. But what's been taking place here is there is a dialogue on the Scripture. Okay? And we've looked at this. Jesus says in verse 37, and the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. And he puts emphasis on there. He's emphasizing this statement and we know that because of the language he's using. We've talked about that. When they want to emphasize something in their culture, in their day, they say it twice. Especially when it's written down. They didn't have excla- uh, exclamation points. So when their wives were trying to stress something, they didn't just put an exclamation point, they said it twice. So they probably said that a lot. And um, so you have Jesus adding emphasis here that and the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me but he says uh, you've missed this testimony in three ways Okay, God has been testifying he has been speaking you understand he has been testifying but you've missed it in three ways okay the father's been testifying about me he's been speaking it's a it's a very verbal word that's used okay? the father's been speaking about me he's testified about me he himself has and you've missed that okay in three ways and the way he says it is he says it in such a way that listen hey My dad, he's talked about me. And you could have heard him. You could have heard him talk about me. You could have heard him speak about me. The father himself has testified about me. But then he says, you have never heard his voice. You've never seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you. For you do not believe in the one he sent. So here's what he says. Listen, you could have have heard him speak. See, if you would have heard his voice, if you would have seen his form, uh, if 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 his word would be dwelling in you, you would have recognized who I I am. You would have believed, you would have believed in me. But he says, I know because you don't recognize me that you've never heard his voice, you've never seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you. Now, when we begin, and we looked at this, when we begin to look at the Father's testimony, we note that um, this testimony is recorded for us in Scripture, okay? Okay? And uh, a little bit strange perhaps in our culture, but in their culture, when you begin to talk about the Father speaking verbally like it's recorded here, uh, that was always understood to take place through the prophets. So when God spoke, it was always speaking through the prophets. Prophets would come and say, thus saith the Lord. In fact, that was the meaning of a prophet. A prophet, if you remember, has two aspects to him. He has a before aspect and a for aspect. So when a prophet, the idea was, when a prophet comes in your midst and he begins to speak, it's not his language, it's, it's God's language. It's not his words, it's God's words. In fact, they get really uptight about that. And to the extent where if you were to walk into a uh, a synagogue and uh, say, hey, you know, I was thinking the other day about about Moses. I bet he made up a couple things that he talked about, just for kicks. (laughs) They take out and stone you to death for that kind of thing. You couldn't even suggest that. Okay, it, it, it's, prophets didn't, see, prophets, the idea was for a Jew that a prophet didn't come to God and say, go say this, and, and and from the time when he got the message, when the prophet took it and was bringing it to the people, it wasn't like the prophet said, you know what, God's English is getting real bad, he, it's just, here, here's what he really, he probably would sound better if I said this, okay, that's not how a prophet, that's not how a prophet thought, a prophet came, got the words of God, walked over to the people of God, and spoke those words. Okay? So when you're talking about, when Jesus is talking here about the Father has testified, he's talking about the Father speaking through the Old Testament prophets, which again causes problems. Because Jesus says, you could have heard his voice. Now, it doesn't take a biblical scholar to understand that the prophets hadn't spoken uh, for 400 years. Okay? The last prophet who spoke was like 400 years ago. So when Jesus looks at the leadership of Israel and he says, listen, the Father's testified about me, and you could have heard him speak. I'd have been like, listen, man, I'm only like thirty. <laughs> that's four hundred years ago. How could I be responsible for hearing the Father testify when he testified through the prophets, which was four hundred years ago? But you see, that's that's our perspective. That's not their perspective. Their perspective was, and this again is so exciting you can almost preach it twice, that when you come into the scriptures, it's not just a book. This is his word. Can you hear how Jesus is talking about this? That when you and he's emphatic, and he's he, he, he's you know he's he's using his hands, and he's we understand that the language he's used, he's used emphasis to talk about this, the Father Himself, and and the way he talks about the Scriptures is it's not just uh, it's not just a book. I, I really uh, if the only time you're into this book is when you come to church on Sunday, there's a problem. Just want to be honest with you about that. If the only time you're fed from this book is when you come to church and open your mouth so the pastor can shovel it in your mouth, there's problems. You'd be surprised how much of the church is ignorant today of the word. I mean, they say, you know, well, the Bible says this. And you might even be able to get away with it, even if you don't know it, say, no, it doesn't. They say, well, I thought it did. Because <laughs> they don't know. Or when someone does say, Well, the Bible says this. Show me where. Well, it's in there. You ever heard that one? It's in there. <laughs> Come on, man. I mean, that's that's our. Uh, not to mention, uh, you ever watch? It's old school now, but um, um, that that game show they have out, uh, Weakest Link, is what it is. A lot they're doing. They're doing biblical questions now, which is hysterical. You know, you know which which one of these books are not one of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, or Henry. And people are like, Matthew. <laughs> you know you know Come on. They don't know. I mean, just our world debate is absolutely ignorant of the Scripture. Okay, And really, to be quite honest with you, it's it's funneling into the church. We kind of know enough. Uh, uh, and I'm not even really talking about laymen. I'm talking about ministers. Ministers anymore are just, and again, i got to be careful on this kind of thing, but ministers anymore just, see, they come to the Scripture to grab a passage of Scripture to support what they want to talk to you about. they got this problem in the church, and they know who he is. And so uh, uh, he comes to church on Sunday, and, and he really wants to talk about this guy. And so he gets what he wants to say, and then he shuffles through the Bible to find out something that will support him, and he lets the guy have it. That's, see, that's not what we're into here. That's not how Jesus used the word, and that's not how he looks at the word. See, when he comes to the word, he's like, oh, it's his voice. And God speaks, and when you come into this book, it's like he's still speaking. It's like he speaks right to you. That's, that's the idea of the scriptures. Now, we only got to one the other night, and that's the voice. There's another aspect that he talks about, obviously. He says, you've never heard his voice. So the scripture is the voice of God, but the scripture is also the form of God. Okay? and I don't want to go into this, but the idea of the form of God is, is somehow when you come into the Scriptures, you see His form. Which is really strange to talk like that because God's Spirit doesn't have a form. Over and over and over, He's the invisible God. In fact, back just a couple uh, pages in chapter 4, He's talking to the uh, woman at the well, and He says, God is Spirit, and His worshippers must worship Him in spirit and truth. Okay? Doesn't have a form. You can't look out and say, hey, there he is over there. But the idea is, is that God's form is represented again in the Scriptures. And when God speaks, God testifies. It's always through the prophets. And you go back and look at the prophets. And you begin to see these prophets. And somehow, God displays what he looks like through him. You ever read the book of Hosea? God takes... You never read the book of Hosea? God takes the prophet Hosea, and uses his life as a canvas to paint what he looks like. He takes Hosea and he has him marry a prostitute. And he goes to this whole big old deal and at the very end of the book, he said, that's what I look like. That's what I look like to Israel. That's how much I love Israel. And so somehow, you know what he looks like. And you understand the leadership of Israel, religious people, they didn't, see, they didn't know what he looked like. And you know that because Jesus showed up in their midst and they didn't recognize him. See, what does he look like? Okay. This is the way he talks about the scriptures, and of course, the last one is the word. Uh, and when he talks about the word, he's not talking about uh, you know words on a page. Word, he's talking about the literal. He says, "Nor does his word dwell in you." It's not memorization. It's not just going inside. It's not theological concepts. It's not. It's not doctrine. Are you with me? It's not that kind of a deal. It's not like I know what I believe. It's literally dwells within me and changes me. It's 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 a guiding purpose in my life. It's 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 the word, as Jesus says, that's humbling planted in me that grows up in me and see that's the idea that's taking place with this book now that's how Jesus talks about it now why we went through that is because this dialogue of the scripture continues to take place because in verses 39 through 40 which is the passage we're looking at this evening Jesus says you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life and these are the scriptures that testify about me yet you refuse to come to me to have life so he's still talking about scripture Okay. He's been talking about the scripture from the perspective of how he sees them. It's the voice of God. It's the form of God that when you come in, you hear his voice. And uh, see, for Jesus, the scripture is all about him. When you come to the book, you don't come for any other reason than him. See, it's not a map. <laughs> it's not a map to get you to home. It's not, see, it's It's him. The reason you come is you say, speak to me. The reason I'm reading this book is to get to know you. See, that's the way he comes. So he's been talking about the scripture the way he sees it. And when you come into our passage, he begins to talk about the scripture the way they see it. And this is how he says they see it. Verse 39. He says, you diligently study the scriptures. Because you think that by them you possess eternal life. So the reason they're coming into the scriptures is to have life. Which is really the whole bottom line of Christianity. Okay. And there's things you can probably talk about here, and I explored these, but really they're probably off the subject. And what I mean by that is, in Jesus' day, there was different doctrines and, and theological stances. They had conservative and liberal, even in Jesus' day, in different branches. I mean, they had the, the Essenes group and the Zealots, they had the Pharisees, they had the Sadducees, they had, I mean, just on and on. And, and the, inside those groups, they had liberal and conservative, and, you know, I mean, they had the Galilean Pharisees, they had the the Judean Pharisees, they had, I mean, just, it goes was, it was on and on and on, and all their, their differences of opinion varied, and, And even apart from all of that, when you begin to come here and you begin to look at this, when it comes down to it, see, some some of these groups didn't believe in eternal life. And some did, and then some had different opinions on eternal life. But by and large, what Jesus is saying here is when you come into the Scriptures, the reason you're studying these is you can have eternal life. You can have life. This this is what he's talking about. Um, My first response to that was, what's wrong with that? Okay? Okay. What's wrong to diligently study the scriptures? Especially when you take their idea of studying the scriptures over against our idea of studying the scriptures. See, our idea of studying the scriptures is devotions. Which I won't even embarrass us with that. Okay, Their idea of studying the scriptures is quite different. By the age of seven or eight, they had the, the, the Pentateuch, the law, the first five books of the Bible memorized word for word. That's their understanding of the Scriptures. And, hey, I don't have to give you that kind of stuff. Really quickly. <laughs> you know how my really quickly go. This is, what, this, is, this is their understanding of the Scripture. The Shema, you know, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Probably a little more than daily bread. What do you think? In fact, you look at the, the Orthodox Jews today and they walk around with a little black box on their forehead. They take that literally. You go into any Orthodox Jew's house and guess what? Above every one of his door frames is tacked the Shema. They write that stuff. Okay? I mean, they talk about it when they're on the road. They, hey, they, when they lie down, they're impressing them upon their kids. I mean, it's on their forehead. It's on their head. It's, it's, see, that's the idea of the scriptures to them. So when you come in this passage and Jesus says, oh, you diligently study the scriptures. See, there's, on the surface, see, that doesn't look bad. But when you begin to break down, now hear this. Uh, I got into that word. And actually, in the original language, it's one word, diligently study. It's the word urunate, uh, which means a load to all of us. I mean, just a ton. It's from the root word, aruna-o, which we knew that. And it's used eight times in the New Testament. Okay? Diligently search or to, to, to look into. It's used eight times in the New Testament. And you know what I found uh, interesting about this? There's a couple different words he could have used. Okay? So, actually, three different words. But he uses this word in this passage. He uses other words that are similar for looking and searching and seeking, those kinds of terms. But every time in the New Testament when this word is used, all eight times, it is always about seeking information. Okay? It's always about information. It's not person. Okay? It's never leaked to a person. It's always used for information. Now, let me give you, there's several examples of this, but let me just give you a couple. couple. For instance, listen to this one. It's in chapter 7, and I'll just read these to you. Uh, They're in this uh, dialogue, the leadership of Israel, about who Jesus is. And Nicodemus says, uh, Nicodemus who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number asked, does our law condemn anyone first without uh, uh, hearing him to find out what he's doing? Then they replied, here it is, are you from Galilee to search? That's it. Diligently study. That's the word look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. So the word that he uses there is search, man. Look into it. Study. Find the information. Hey, look for the facts and you'll find that a prophet doesn't come out of Galilee. That's the word that's used. Yeah, it's exciting, isn't it? Give me another one. Try to be calm with this one, though. First Peter chapter 1, verse 11. He uses it. And again, I'll just read these to you. Uh, concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care. And for what? Trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing. Information. So again, this word has to do with information. And the last one, just for kicks, because I know you're just dying to hear it, is in Revelation chapter 2, verse 23, which is very plain. And again, he says... Uh, he says, I will strike her children dead, talking about Jezebel, so Jezebel scene with the church of uh, Thyatira. Or Th- Thyatira. Uh, then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds. And this is really interesting. In our translation, it says, searches hearts and minds. The literal translation there is, searches hearts and kidneys. Bet you didn't know he searches your kidneys, huh? Yeah, don't ever doubt that. Okay. It's not, he's not searching for hearts and kidneys. He searches your hearts and kidneys, which is your heart and mind. That's the idea. That's their cultural understanding. So he's searching them. So every time this word is used, it's, it's used to pinpoint or to talk about how it's a searching for information. Now, that may not seem like a big deal on the surface, but let me take these two and set them uh, beside each other and you begin to look at them. When Jesus talks about the scriptures, it's never just about information. It's never just about uh, uh, info. It's never just about uh, acquired knowledge. Okay? It's about him. This is where quizzing can begin to become bad. Or maybe not bad, but not be helpful. Because again, we're not after, hear me now, we're not after knowledge. Are you listening to me? Okay? We're not after knowledge. We're not after that kind of stuff. See, we're after Him. And so you can read the Bible all you want and know all kinds of Scripture. But see, the deal is, it's not about knowing Scripture, it's about knowing Him. And you can get into the Scripture without getting into Him. And you have a whole group of people here that diligently study. I mean, they know this thing backwards and forwards. But they don't know Him. They did not get in it to know Him. They got in it for information. That's the words that they use. Jesus, you diligently study the Scripture for information. Why? They want eternal life this is why you get into it now what's so ironic about this whole thing is and probably I should mention is that's one of the greatest dangers of my life did you know that preaching can turn into just whipping up another sermon for next sunday especially the kind of pressure you're going to put on your pastor and he's here I mean he's not here tonight so I can talk to you about this see they're under they're under such pressure to produce three sermons a week wouldn't it be horrible that if your pastor was so, just so concerned about getting the three sermons out, he really didn't have time for just... In fact, I've had pastors tell me that their preaching and their, and their getting sermons for Sunday is different than their devotional time. Which tells you what right about their sermons. Their sermons is acquired information that they give to spill on you, and it's different than their... See, I'm, that's not preaching. Does that make sense? See, that's not what we're after. The reason we get into the scripture where passion comes and excitement. See, it's not just that I'm ADD. In fact, I'm not ADD. It's not that I'm hyperactive. And it's not that I just i drink a bunch of coffee and get all wound up and jump around. This is exciting, you understand. And that's how Jesus talked about the scriptures. It just wasn't another good sermon. It wasn't something he downloaded from sermon.com of his internet day. See, it wasn't that kind of a thing. It's not just, see, it's not just information. He never talked about it that way. And what's so sad is, is the leadership of Israel diligently studied the scriptures to find eternal life. And the only thing that the scriptures talked about was Jesus. This is what he says. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by then you, you possess eternal life. Yet these are the scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. And so what the scriptures talk about is get to know Jesus. See, the scriptures are not a map to get to life. The scriptures are about Jesus. And this is what's really neat. Because Jesus has just gotten done talking about how what the, script, you know, the, the Father testify, He has spoken. And when you get into the scripture, you hear his voice, you see his form, and his word can dwell in you. And what's the only thing that he's talking about? Jesus. That's all that he's talking about. That's all that the Father is into. That's all that he wants to talk about. Which tells you the scriptures have one message, which is Jesus. <laughs> it talks about one thing so if you ever come into the scripture and it doesn't talk, doesn't talk about Jesus you read it wrong because every book talks about Jesus in fact I got kind of interested in this and here, here's where I was leading with this now listen to me so if I have a problem with my marriage and I come into the scripture what's it going to tell me is the answer for the problem in my marriage Jesus Sounds like a religious answer, doesn't it? So if I have problems in my finances and I come to the scripture to learn, hey, what's the answer to my finances? What's the scripture going to tell me? I struggle with this. Because that sounds kind of cheesy, doesn't it? It's worth for my generation, cheesy. Sounds kind of just, you know, it's the typical Sunday school, you know, if you say Mary, Joseph, Jesus, you're going to get like, you know, 95% of the questions right. That That's kind of the answer that you, you, you know, that's what it sounds like. Uh, I got really interested in this, and I began to search through the, the Scripture, or especially through the Gospel of John. <laughs> Are you prepared for this? You're not ready for this, but I'll give it to you anyway. To listen to how Jesus talks, we're getting ready to go into John chapter 6, which is the feeding of the 5,000. And of course, uh, they're really concerned about their next meal. Anybody who lives life on the road does. <laughs> Thank you. You got that. Most of them, they don't get that. They're asleep by this time. But Jesus is talking to them, and they start talking about the bread that comes down from heaven. And does Jesus say, hey, I've got the bread of life? Got a whole storeful, uh, a whole, whole storeroom full of it. Is that what he says? Listen, to what he says. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Come here, stick your teeth in. Whoever eats my flesh and my, drinks my blood has real life. Why? Because he's the bread that came down from heaven. He doesn't have bread. He is the bread. Are you with me? See, he doesn't give bread. He is the bread. That's what he talks about. Chapter 6. Okay? Uh, there's tons of these. And I know you want me to go through every one of them slowly. But you begin to, you begin to search through. And uh, I got really interested in this one. You come down into the whole John chapter 11, which is the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And, and Martha and Mary, and they're all upset. And if you had been here, you know, Lazarus wouldn't have died. And Jesus did not say. See, Jesus, get this. Jesus can't raise the dead. He doesn't have the power to give resurrection. What does he say? He says, I am, verse 25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. So he doesn't give resurrection. He is the resurrection. But he never gives. John never talks about it. He always gives himself. So the idea that you get, and he, he talks like this in John chapter 14. He looks at the disciples and says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. He doesn't give you truth. He is the truth. He doesn't give you life. He is the life. He doesn't show you the way. He says, I am the way. There's nothing outside of Him. Not one single thing. He's the light of the world. See, you begin to scour and, probably an aggressive word, but you begin to go through the, the Scriptures and you begin to look at this over and over and over and over all the way throughout the end. He doesn't give anything apart from, you know who else talked like this? Listen to this. Paul. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of the fullest will in Him, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through the death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from this hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that he has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven in which I, Paul have become a servant. <laughs> Sounds like it's a lot about Jesus, doesn't it? Uh, that's just in Colossians. And a buddy of mine, good friend of mine, uh, out of Joliet, Illinois, went through, uh, and he started studying the book of 1 Corinthians. And out of the first ten verses, he mentions Jesus' name ten times. Jesus is the answer, you understand. So you have these two different perspectives Hey, on the scriptures, on on the church, in terms of the relationship with the Father, in terms of rule, all these different things. And hey, he's just, it's all about him. What am I getting at? I love what I do. Uh, you think I'm teasing when I say I don't have a job. Uh, I don't. I just get to study and seek Him and tell you my devotions and you give me millions to do it. Let me share with you what this is doing in my life. Uh, I'm sharing this with you because I wonder if you're like me. I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond tonight and I think you're going to want to. I'm wondering if this passage is doing to you what it did to me. I wonder if you're like me from time to time and turn away from Jesus Christ as your answer. Biggest thing I struggle with. See, when I'm driving down the road and my wife's pregnant four months, sitting in the passenger seat, and the truck breaks down and it's two o'clock in the morning and we're out in the middle of nowhere in a state that's two or three states away from anybody we know, We don't have good cell phone reception and it's cold. And you get worried. See, is Jesus the answer there? Now again, you can say, yeah, Jesus is the answer and that can be an easy religious answer. But is Jesus really the answer to that kind of a problem? See, is He your kind of answer in that kind of a situation? Don't no offense, but don't give me that superficial junk that we oftentimes give. You know, when when a parent is, is sick or dying, or someone in the church is drastically ill, well, trust in Jesus. Don't don't give me that. I re- I really don't like that kind of superficial. Oh, praise the Lord! How was your day today? Oh, wonderful! You know, not just see. I'm talking real deal stuff. Is Jesus the answer there? When you're looking at your bank account and things are dwindling and trucks been falling apart and this kind of thing's going wrong and you need to buy this and then your wife gets pregnant and you don't think it's your fault and, uh, and then she needs uh, you know, uh, maternity clothes and things are tight the way they are and see, is Jesus really the answer to my financial problems? Oh, here's one I really struggle with. I was in the Marine Corps and I'm not a wimp. Pretty tough guy. I'm not the toughest. But uh, I can handle myself pretty, fairly well. And I've still trained myself to rely on that before Him. You know how easy it is to rely on this than it is to rely on Him. You know how easy it is to rely on your personality, your wits versus Him. Wouldn't it be tragic to base some ministry off that? That my ministry would not be based off of his leading, but off of my good preaching. In other words, am I an evangelist because I preach really well and I work at it and I know the right people and the connections? Or am I an evangelism because out of the direct result of a leading in Jesus Christ in my life? I don't know how critical you may think that is or not, but I'm, I'm telling you that's the gospel. Paul says, This is the gospel. You have no other answer than Jesus. In the name of Jesus. There is no other answer than Jesus. If you're having problems in your marriage, I'm going to tell you it's because Jesus Christ is not the center of your marriage. I don't care what it is. Because when Jesus Christ becomes the center of your marriage and the center of your life, things get better. Jesus is the answer to every single question you have. He's, He's the answer to every single problem you have. There is nothing outside of him. You have the Jewish leadership of his day. That's searching the scriptures for life. Searching for scriptures for the answer. And the only answer it has is Jesus. What in your life are you substituting? We've been talking about this all week. See, what in your life are you substituting for Jesus? Would you believe me if I told you young men that the answer to your sex drive is Jesus? The answer to your self-esteem is Jesus? The answer to your eating habits is Jesus. Tonight, uh, I'm going to get in the truck. I'm going to drive about 12 hours with Jesus. (laughs) I love you tonight, Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I want you to be the answer in my in my life. I don't come to you to manipulate you. I don't come to you to beg from you. I do, I don't want anything from you. I don't want an answer, I don't want a solution. I want I want you to come down right here in the midst of this mess that I call life and be my answer. <laughs> I want you to come down. Like, like your father came down in your life. In the name of Jesus. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I really worry about teens in churches that come to church and are the good kids and they don't know Jesus. And you talk to their parents and they say, well, at least they're in church. Well... I can't tell you how many times I've seen the at least they're in church die and go to hell. Because being in church doesn't mean anything to me. Showing up to a building is not what he's talking about. Teen, do you know him? I mean, like, really know him? I mean, are you living for him? Is he your answer? I mean, are you tight with him? Are you walking with him like he is the literally breath that you have to breathe? I'm not talking about, yes, I pray to him. No, I'm talking about waking up in the morning, grabbing him around the shoulders, and saying, listen, go down to my school with me today. Set in my math class with me today. Hey, I want you to talk to that boy who picks on me every day, Jesus. Hey, I want, I want to drag you in the midst of this problem. Hey, come to work with me. Work with me, Jesus, right beside the guy who, who, who talks vulgarly, who, who's just a pain in the neck. Who knows why he's stuck right beside me. But hey, I, come down and share these kind of things. Jesus, come down in the middle of my marriage. God, get right in the middle of these bodily drives of mine. They're out of control. Jesus, work in my church. You're my only hope. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I want to give you an opportunity to respond. I've really been struggling with this in my own life. Uh, Perhaps it's because of the day and age we live in, although it's always been this way. There's just a few things he can't tolerate in my life. And the number one issue is, is that he can have no rival. There's no other answer besides him. Period. I don't need money, I need Jesus. <laughs> I, don't, uh, I don't need health, I need Jesus. I don't need direction. See, I don't need, hey, I need Jesus. Uh, I'm going to ask you tonight if you're not living there, uh, come and be a Christian. Come and be the real deal. Don't settle for being a cheap imitation. Don't settle for just knowing information. Don't settle for knowing when to stand up and sit down in your church. I mean, and know how to run things. Don't settle for that. I'm telling you what, He is so bigger than that. He's so much more. Jesus, we love you this evening. We thank you for the truth of your word.